Well, good morning and welcome to this pre-recorded service for the 31st of January 2021 here, here at Calvary Church in Brighton. So the usual welcome if you're regular, uh, watch regularly, uh, and if you're just dropping in perhaps for the first time, my introduction is to say that we are an independent Baptist church on the south coast of England, just south of south of London on the coast. Uh, back in the day when we were meeting normally, it would be 75 to 80 of us, but uh, here we are meeting uh, yet again by YouTube, and uh, following this there'll be the opportunity to meet up by Zoom, that's if you're watching in real time as it were. My name is Philip Wells, I've been working for the church for many years here, I'm uh, serving as pastor elder and I'm going to be leading this morning and speaking a bit more uh, in our series on Hebrews and uh, if you want to catch the previous versions of uh, Hebrews or the previous talks on Hebrews there will be a link uh, which will be cleverly put up on the screen. So let me uh, tell you the plan for just now which is up there on the screen by my head and I've welcomed you and given that little brief introduction and uh, I'll pray. Lord you said that if we draw near to you you will draw near to us so please deliver us from distractions from all that uh, might get in the way including our own sin and draw us to you. We want to seek you and pray that you would be found by us as we come this morning through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And we're going to be thinking about who Jesus is. Uh, understanding who Jesus is is the key to understanding what being a Christian is and it's the key to living the Christian life. So it's a very important subject. We're going to be continuing to think of this whole matter of this um, pattern of what it is to be a saviour, uh, exemplified in Melchizedek, uh, this old priest king whom we've been following through uh, in the scriptures uh, right from Genesis through, and we're hopefully getting back into Hebrews and linking uh, linking the thread up there with the flow of uh, the letter to the Hebrews, which is what we're looking at um, in this series. And Hebrews is very keen to show us the greatness of Jesus and to, to fill our hearts and minds with the magnificence of this person uh, in dimensions that you might never even have thought of. But Hebrews is, is, is full on in saying he's all these things and more. And uh, Hebrews would love to remind us of Psalm 45, uh, and, and in a moment we're going to have that read to us actually, but uh, Psalm 45 is totally enthusiastic about the king. Uh, my heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer, and it's like the court po poet laureate is uh, ready to say how great the king is and the writers of Hebrews and the whole New Testament would want to say this is Jesus. So it does say You're, you are the most excellent of men and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. 
Gird your sword upon your side, O mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In majesty ride forth victoriously on behalf of truth, humility and righteousness. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Well, it's full of depictions of the greatness of Jesus. And here is uh, God himself giving us words which we as human beings can deploy to praise Jesus Christ. So without further ado, let's uh, sing that psalm. It's Psalm 45, and here we go. Son, and now let us bow before God in prayer. Almighty God, great Creator, mighty Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, you through whom all things were created and for whom all things were created, we bow before you in all of your mightiness. We come before you in our own smallness, in our own self-centeredness, in our own limit limitedness, and ask that you would lift our hearts to some sense 
of your greatness, your glory and your magnificence. We come confessing our smallness and our sin, how small our minds are, how much they're curved in on themselves, how hard we find it uh, as sinners to lift our hearts, to be elevated into the presence of of holiness, of majesty, of divinity. And yet we would seek by the power of your Holy Spirit to lift our hearts toward you. You know us uh, in all that goes on uh, within us, uh, all that uh, our thoughts, our motivations, our inclinations. Look upon us with mercy, O God, and work within us, we pray, what is pleasing to you. We come to thank you and to bow before you in reverent worship that if we are yours just now, we are yours because you, before the foundation of the world, set your love upon us. What a mystery that is, how deep that is, how marvellous it is that before we were even born, uh, you chose us in Christ, that you uh, knew the sort of people we would be, you knew the sort of things that we would say and do, you knew all of that, and yet you still chose us and you saw fit to bring us to yourself, to love us with an unfathomable love and to determine and purpose in your heart to bring us to glory, to share your throne, to share eternity, to be risen with Christ, to be made new in him and to be with him forever. And we can hardly grasp this, but we do want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We thank you for our election. We thank you for our redemption, that by a mighty act of power and a mighty expenditure and a, at, a, at huge cost, you brought us to yourself, paid the price for our sins, paid uh, all that was necessary for us to receive the promised Holy Spirit uh, within our hearts to change us and transform us, to put a new song uh, in, on our lips uh, and a, a new love in our hearts and a new hope for the future. Thank you for all these things that you have done for us. And it is our prayer that you would continue to make us as your people suitable uh, to belong to such a great God and such a great King. Continue to work within us uh, things of holiness. Continue to transform us so that we'd be more like Jesus Christ. Teach us, Lord, to unlearn the things of sin that have come to us so naturally. And teach us to put on and learn the things of Christ, which are far more beautiful, far more wonderful, uh, far better. So teach us to, to put these things on, to, uh, to become this sort of person, each of us. And it is our prayer, again, we must sound like broken records, Lord, uh, that you would give us help and strength in this time. Uh, you know how difficult we find it, different people in different ways, and it, perhaps it teaches us that every moment and every day we need to depend upon you, and we come to do that just now. We pray, Lord, for your church and your churches. May your churches represent you and be shining lights in a dark world. May be the, be the pillar upon which truth is held forward 
into this world. May they be centres of mission through which your gospel and the word of salvation goes out. May your churches be bright, shining lights in a dark place and may they bring glory to you. May your kingdom be expanded through even us, uh, your people here on earth. And we pray for our uh, friends in this city that you will help and bless each of them. We think of the folk in Ebenezer. We think of the folk at Park Hill. We think of the folk at New Life Moolscombe. Uh, we think of the impending church plant uh, with David Skull. Please hear our prayer that you would bless and increase and guide and be glorified in your churches. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've prayed. And before we go on, I'm going to say a few more things on this subject of uh, forgiveness. So we've been looking at this for the past few weeks. And I think it is an important subject, uh, helpful to us to to think of, of this. It's very fundamental to our standing with God. And it's very fundamental for the way that we relate to one another. So here's uh, something on how to say sorry. So um, little sister or big sister has just thrown little sister's, well, uh, you just threw your little sister's favourite cuddly toy down the toilet. Say sorry. And uh, the uh, big sister says, sorry. Well, um, you might think that's a rather comical um, scenario. I I tremble to think of the things I did to my little brother when I was little. But anyway, here's something. Uh, Sister's cuddly toy thrown down the toilet. Say sorry. Sorry. Is that the right way to say sorry? Uh, Probably not. A a better way to say sorry is like this. Now, what are you sorry for? Mm -hmm. What are you sorry for? I'm sorry I snatched your toy. And what did you do with it? Sorry, I'll put it down the toilet. And what are you going to say? Please forgive me. That's better, isn't it? It's specific and it includes uh, a request for forgiveness. Now, what do you think of what you just did? Me? No, what do you think of what you just did? It was horrible. It was a horrible thing to do and I won't do it again. Okay, so there's something there of repentance, uh, showing that there's a change of attitude about this. And then, now, what have you done with your sister's little toy? What have you done with it? I've washed it. Good. Anything else? I've dried it. Good. And what else have you done? I've put it back in by, by her bed. Okay, I've washed your toy and dried it and put it back by your bedside. So some attempt there at restitution, at putting things right, making, if, if there's an action to be done to show uh, that there's been a change of heart, to take that action. So uh, that's a better way to say sorry. Uh, specific confession, being specific, that was what I did wrong, repentance, a change of heart, new behaviour, something put into action to show that that was what was meant. And I'd like us to see that this is 
fundamental to the way we approach God through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to find Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Hosea is describing the way that the people ought to come back. The words are right. It, It turns out that they weren't actually as genuine as they ought to have been. But the words are right. And this is what it says. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us but he will bind up our wounds. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord, or perhaps better, let us know the Lord. Let us press on to know him, acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. So here are the right words. As I say, they didn't, it didn't go as deep as it should have done, but here they are, coming back to the Lord. A returning. We're going to turn to the Lord. There is a sense that if we go to him, he will forgive. He's torn us to pieces. He will heal us. He's injured us. He will bind up our wounds. And a sense that there is goodwill with him. If we come, uh, he will restore us and revive us, that we may live in his presence. And there's this uh, intention to, to, to know him. Um, we've turned from our sins, the horrible things that we've done, and we turn to him and we want to know him. And we're going to take actions that show that. Let's press on to know him. And as we do this, he will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. There's an expectation that he will meet us. And there's the the, the thoughts on on what it is to come to the Lord. And I don't think that we only do that once uh, and then we've finished with it. I think in a sense that's our constant turning uh, from our sin to him in faith that he will renew us and restore us uh, and grant us newness of life. So there's the the last of our thoughts on forgiveness and uh, I hope that those are helpful. And it is a glorious thing to come to the Lord in his salvation. So let's sing that uh, song to God be the glory, great things he has done. Um, 676.
going to come back to Hebrews. We've, we've been thinking about the priest in the order of Melchizedek. We're going to come right back to square one and we're going to have Hebrews chapter one verse one through to chapter two verse three and Brenda's going to read. Thank you very much for reading this Brenda. In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had pr provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, 
You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last for ever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? The reading tells us about the wonder and the greatness of Jesus. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Uh, and Let's sing uh, 319 about Jesus, my Jesus, my Saviour. Lord, there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love.
Well, as we come to God's word here in Hebrews, let's pray. Lord, you caused this letter to be written. You wanted the original hearers to take good notice of what was written. And please help us in our generation to pay heed to your word, to make it foremost in our hearts and minds and thinking, not to have that word crowded out by other distracting things and not to stray off the path. We ask you to help us, help speaker and hearer alike, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, my introduction, uh, what's the vital word today? If you turn on the radio or look in the newspaper, I'm pretty sure before you're too long, you will have come across the word pandemic. It's a new word, well, a new new word to us. Yeah, it's all over the place, isn't it? That word, vaccine, yeah, that word crops up an awful lot. Uh, lockdown, uh, we only thought lockdown ever happened in American prisons, but, but we've been in it. Lockdown, or the word Pfizer-BioNTech. Is that one word or two words? Uh, well, that word is something we never knew existed, was it? And AstraZeneca, I thought that was a racing driver. Um, but these are words, aren't they, that are, are buzzing around and uh, filling our, our minds. Homeschooling. Did you ever think that word would be relevant? Frustration. There's another word. And without belittling any of these, I want to say that our text insists that there is a more important word than any of these, a more vital word which we should be listening to and not letting the other words get in the way of listening to this word. God has another spoken word that is even more important than these words. I want to take us through the logic of that this morning. So you remember we were following the trail to the hidden treasure, uh, following the trail from the starting point uh, past the Eiffel Tower through the mountains until we found X mark the spot. And we found that uh, the trail involved, as my little drawing is there, sit at my right hand until I, may all, until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. The uh, uh, the psalm, the prophetic, the key prophetic psalm that uh, David wrote about someone other than himself. Well, we followed the trail of Melchizedek. That was the priest, wasn't it? We started in Genesis. We went through Psalm 110. And last week we arrived on the welcome shores of the New Testament. And today I'd just like to bring us back full circle to the letter to the Hebrews and I think we will see freshly how important, or I hope we'll see freshly, how important this uh, Psalm 110 text is, uh, not only in the New Testament, but it's key for the thinking of the uh, the writer to the Hebrews. And as we come back to Hebrews, we'll find that the treasure was right here under our noses, uh, and there it was all the time. And I'm going to like, I'm going to invite us to come back to the first four verses of Hebrews and hear them once again in the light of all that we've been thinking of in the past weeks. The Holy Spirit had this in mind from the beginning of the letter and now we know what we're looking for. We'll see it right here. Uh, a vital word for us today. So what does the text say? So I've got a clunky translation there. 
In the past, God spoke to our forefathers in the prophets at many times and in various ways. But now, in these last days, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, or by his son, in his son, in the prophets, in his son. The son, whom, there's some whom's coming and who's and whom's, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world or the universe. Who, in the original it's a who, but the NIV puts son there. Who, being the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression character, I think is the, is the Greek word, the exact expression of his, his actual being, the exact expression of his being, uh, upholding, uh, bearing up all things by the word of his power, through himself cleansing for sins having made, something like that, what we've got here, uh, after he had pr provided purification for sins, through himself cleansing uh, for sins having made, he sat down at the right hand of the greatness on high. There you are, you see there's the sitting down at the right hand of God. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven and so he became as much superior to the angels as is the more excellent name he has inherited to theirs. There's a, a comparison there. Uh, and so he became superior in as much as the name he inherited was more excellent than the name of the angels. And there's those first four verses goes on to say to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. So those are the verses. I'm just going to take us through them. It's nothing particularly clever. Just meditating our way through those and seeing the impact of them yet again. So let's uh, take them to pieces. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers. So if you want a heading, number one, God has spoken to us, to us. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers in the prophets at many times um, in at many times and in various ways. In the in these last days he has spoken to us in his son. Let's just think about that. So God spoke to them in the past, but now he's spoken to us. Here's a word to us. Uh, we are in the same position as the original readers. Here's a word from God to us. A word. And we're told of the nature of these. This is an eschatological word. It is a word for these last days. Um, these last days. We are in the last days. That doesn't mean that there's a particular limit that one can predict, but it does say that this stretch of time is the last lap, if you like, the, la the, the home stretch. Uh, he has spoken to us in these last days in his son. That's how he's spoken, in his son. So these are the last days. It's an eschatological word, meaning it's, it, it's for the final end of everything. We're on the last stretch of the race, whether it's longer or shorter, it is the last stretch. And the next eventful thing, uh, apart from running the race, is the finishing line. That's, that's the 
that's the journey that we're on and that's the, the part of the journey that we're on. And you remember that he goes on to say it's like the Israelites crossing the desert. We are in the place of testing and trial and we need all the help we can get. And where do we look? We look to our high priest in heaven. Uh, God has spoken to us in his son in these last days. And the central core of this message is in Jesus Christ himself. He has spoken to us in his son. Uh, and my point, which I'll make several times, is that we should be listening. That was uh, chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. They were in danger of drifting away. They were in danger of forgetting how important and crucial this message was. And uh, it's a word for us, isn't it? Let's not, in our stress, frustration, lose focus. This is the key thing. This is the message to be listening to. This is the word to be focusing on. Let's move on. So I said there were some who's and whom's. And uh, they work out like this. Whom he has appointed heir of all things. Through whom he made the universe. Who being the radiance of God's glory or the, yeah, the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Upholding all things by the word of his power. Uh, who is this? So my second point here, the transcendent, glorious, divine Son. Who is this? All the who's refer back to the Son. And let's try and get some of the impact of what is said about this Son. It's a deep, powerful, transcendent description. When I say transcendent, I mean it goes above and beyond anything in this world above and beyond that. It's a, it, the description goes out of the reaches of this world and just being an ordinary human. Who is this son? Now, in the Bible, God has various sons, different contexts. Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go that he may worship me, said God in Exodus. Um, the, the king, the Davidic king, is in a father-son relationship. It's a sort of messianic sonship. And uh, I think that you could say that, in a sense, that was true of the human kings. Uh, it was said of Solomon, he'll be my son, I'll be his father. I'll, if he goes wrong, I'll, I'll, I'll beat him with the rod of men to help him to learn lessons. So it's true of the human kings. In a sense, they are the sons of God. But this son is the son of par excellence. He's the son with a capital S. He's the fulfilment and the fullest of everything a son should be. And he might say all the other sonships are a little bit like his. But uh, anyway, this son. What does it say? He has appointed him heir of all things. So there's a, a brief phrase that says so much, doesn't it? The father makes his estate over to his son without exception. Um, I gather that I've just inherited a, a, an 11th, I think, of uh, my auntie's estate, whatever that may be. 
Uh, I certainly haven't inherited all of it. Uh, she's tried to divvy it out in a fair way among her remaining relatives. But here, this son inherits everything. He is appointed heir of all things. There is nothing in the whole of creation which does not come to him, which the Father does not give to him. Uh, he is appointed heir. And through whom he made the universe, through whom he made the worlds. He is the agent of creation. Reminds us of John chapter 1, doesn't it? It says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made that has been made. And I've got a little picture for that, which I use uh, sometimes when I'm lecturing on John's Gospel, uh, when I have the opportunity to do that. Just briefly explaining, it's a sort of sideways on view of the Trinity. So that disc represents the Father, or that ellipse represents the Father viewed, as it were, side on. And there, very close to him, is the Son, again viewed, as it, as it were, side on. And uh, here are lines of creation. The Father is creating through the Son. There he is creating the Sun and the stars and the moon. And there is creating people through the Sun and trees. And there is creating animals through the Sun, two-legged sheep. And here's a line in which the Father creates something without going through the Son. And I always ask the uh, members of class, what can you tell me about that line? And the correct answer is, it doesn't exist. There is no such line. The Father does not create anything without creating it through the Son, uh, through whom he made the universe. Let's come back to this uh, here. He is the agent of creation. He is the radiance of the glory. He is the exact, uh, exact is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And uh, this is a, a, a wonderful thing, an amazing thing to try and put into words. That uh, what about putting it? Trying to put it this way: that the Son is the outward face of the Father. The Father does not reveal Himself into His creation. He does not reveal Himself apart from through His Son. Uh, he is the exact representation of his being and uh, you could draw a diagram a little bit like the one I drew before to, to show that, that that God shows himself through his son and the son exactly perfectly represents the father there's nothing about the father that the son is incompetent to show uh, that the that the son is full of ability to show who the father is because everything that the Father is, the Son is. And then uh, he is upholding all things by the word of his power. The Son is the active interface by which all things are held in being. They don't just hold themselves in being, they're held in being, and we're told it's a speaking thing, that it's a word which, as it were, continually holds everything up like a a juggler constantly holding a juggling act up by an input of skill and wisdom, and the Son upholds all things by his powerful word. So here is a description of who we're talking about. Who is this? 
that uh, we're told is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Who is this who we're told is the Lord of David? Who is he? He is this son, the deep, eternal, Trinitarian son, the one of whom uh, who, who can say no one knows the son but the father, and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom uh, those whom the son is to whom the son is pleased to reveal him. Uh, it's depth and eternity, deep mysteries of the Trinity. This is the son, and uh, we come right into Hebrews, and you remember. I think we remarked on this before. We just jump straight into this ocean depth of mystery and wonder and glory because this is who we're talking about. This is who Jesus is. Let's go on a little bit further. Uh, so we've had these whoms uh, and whos, and then we have the verb that is at the centre of all this. He sat down through himself, cleansing having been made, he sat down at the right hand of the greatness on high. So the verb at the centre of this paragraph is he sat down. This is who he is. These are the things that he has been doing. Uh, but this is the particular action that we're focusing on here. He sat down. He sat down and he sat down because he had. He sat down having done this, having made cleansing for sins, he sat down. Having done this work, he sat down. Having finished this work, he sat down in heaven at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down once, I put he sits, he's seated once, having made cleansing for sin. So the act that he did, was on earth. The um, cleansing action was through his death on the cross, that mighty, mighty deed. Um, and now we're told, uh, having made that single act which deals with sin forever, this priestly act, because the offering of a sacrifice is a priestly act, and now he sits in heaven, uh, having risen from the dead, having ascended to be enthroned. And uh, systematic theologians call that his exaltation. He came down in humiliation. He goes up in exaltation and he goes to the very highest place. He sits in heaven at the right hand of God. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And there he is enthroned. And his enthronement, his kingly enthronement is a priestly thing. He continues to be a priest in the style of Melchizedek. I have sworn you are a priest forever in the manner of Melchizedek. That's what the, the this oath from God instituting this, um, an oath which God would not take back and which he would surely fulfill. Uh, and it's there in that psalm. So we're, we're, we flag up almost at the beginning here that this priestly work is a heavenly thing. And as we... No, he's going to go on and say all the earthly paraphernalia of priesthood, you know, robes and rituals and holy places and swinging incense and all that stuff. Um, 
at best it's misle misleading or distracting at worst it's it, it it takes you off the path it's deadly uh, so earthly priests and rituals miss the point and lead away from the real priesthood the real work which is in heaven he achieved it on earth and now he sits he's sitting enthroned on high for you and me number three he cleansed sin on earth and his priest in heaven so number four he achieved the great name so just following through these verses still he sat down and so and therefore uh, sorry and so in this way in this way he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs but to which of the angels did god ever say you are my son Today I've become your father. Uh, he, uh, here's my clunky translation, and so he became as much superior to the angels as is the more excellent name he has inherited to theirs. To which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father. That's what he's achieved, this status as son. So at his enthronement, his resurrection, his ascension, his enthronement, he inherits this superior name. Here he is, acclaimed with this superior name. Now, uh, John Woods is going to mention names in his sermon this evening, uh, if I uh, got that correct. Uh, and of this business of name, and there's a degree of mystery in this, but I'll just say what I can. Uh, a name is, is how people come to know you, isn't it? Um, you know, have a name as the best darts player in the village or something like that. Um, the name is how people come to know you. I looked for nominative determinism, I think that's what it's called, where your name becomes particularly appropriate in later life. And uh, you can find this on the internet the same as uh, I did. It's uh, Sullivan Cromwell <laughs> Limited, I think, uh, an American law, law firm with this dear lady, uh, of, um, I presume, Asian heritage, whose name is Sue Yu. Sue Yu, the lawyer. Uh, what a wonderful name. I'm sure she had that name long before she became a lawyer, but when she became a lawyer, they thought, wow, this is just the right name for you. Sue Yu. The son was always the son, but now he has achieved a great salvation. And now in his career, where he's achieved a great salvation, a world in a world of sin. He's entered this world, his glory veiled, and, uh, and, and solved this huge problem of sin. Fantastic. And he has been given great status. Uh, he had great status before, but his status didn't include that he was the saviour of sinners. And now, now his status includes that. Fantastic. See what an achievement uh, Christ has earned for himself. Uh, and uh, he, he has won this first. He has become the first human being to sit on the throne of the universe. Yeah, to be sure, he was king of kings before, but now in, it, in his career as saviour, having come and become incarnate, having suffered on the cross, having risen from the dead, he has gone to the throne and become the first human to sit on the throne of the universe. What 
greatness he has achieved, uh, much better than anything angels have ever done. Uh, they're left in the shade by the achievement of the Son, the eternal Son, uh, the name that he has now inherited, if you like, the name which has now come to fulfilment. Yeah, he is great and greatly to be praised. Look at what he's achieved. And you get the same sort of thing in Philippians. Therefore, having humbled himself and suffered and died on the cross, therefore God has exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, great acclaim due to him, our knees should bow and our tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And uh, the, uh, you know, the uplook, let's look up, let's be elevated and see what the situation is in heaven. And uh, we could perhaps say the same thing as that dour Scottish preacher who having enlarged on the uh, glories of Jesus said, doesn't it make you want to say three cheers for Jesus? And I think it does, doesn't it? Three cheers for Jesus. Uh, we lift our hearts to him and we say how great he is. He achieved a great name uh, and is called the Son, rightly. So there we are. We've uh, whizzed through those first four verses, which actually had the treasure in them all the time. And now we've got eyes to see it. And let me just wind up by saying these are surely inescapable reasons why we, as he's going to say, should pay more careful attention to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. The message spoken by angels was binding. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Brothers and sisters, let's refocus. Let's refocus. This is what we should be thinking about. Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff going on around us. But woe to us if we're so distracted by that that we take our eyes off Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We must pay more careful attention. We should be listening. You know, it's, it's not a feeling thing. It's a listening thing. It's not a seeing thing. It's a, a hearing thing. We should be listening to what God is saying. Lord, open our ears so that every day we can hear from your word what you are saying to us uh, and uh, through the word, as it were, fix our eyes on Jesus. We should be filling our minds with this word and we should be living it. We should be acting on it. Let's do that. Let's pay more attention to Jesus, even in our stresses and frustrations, dare I say it. And here's the reason, because he's worth it. He's worth it, isn't he? Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us to realise how great our Saviour is. Help our eyes to be lifted to heaven and not only focused on the stuff that's going on around us. Help us to take to heart and to be deeply encouraged and elevated by the thought of who Jesus is and help us to walk all the way to heaven, fixing our eyes on him. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen. So our last song this morning is uh, number 495 by Charles Wesley. We, we sang it last week. It's a tremendous hymn. Um, you know, whether the 
musical arrangement does justice to it is another question. But it is a tremendous hymn. It is declaring that Jesus is on the throne. Rejoice, the Lord is king. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And it depicts Jesus as reigning. When he had purged our stains, he took his seat above. His kingdom cannot fail. He sits at God's right hand till all his foes submit. Rejoice in glorious hope. Jesus the judge shall come and take his servants up to their eternal home. An absolutely splendid hymn. So uh, please feel free to sing out as we close with uh, song 495. So for our closing prayer, these familiar words from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant 
brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Amen. So it's bye-bye from me, and until we meet again, may the Lord bless and keep all of us. Um, bye-bye just now. Bye.